We were looking a hierarchy of Packers blame here. Like, who is the godfather of blame? Then who is a boss? Who's an underboss? Who's a captain? Who's a soldier? Because uh, Joe Barry was once public enemy number one for me. And then after uh, thinking about it a while and seeing what unfolded uh, Monday Night Football and then hearing some comments from Jair Alexander, I mean, the, the defense literally, I mean, I know they gave up 17 points, but if you think about it, I mean, there was short field, Jordan Love interceptions, right? And uh, you don't really fault the defense for much of it. Hell, um, Jair Alexander, when talking about this, um, he was not pleased and it didn't sound like he wasn't like unhappy, but you could read between the lines a little bit. It sounded like he was not really pleased with uh, what it all unfolded here, and rightfully so. Here's the oh, oh, oh hang on a second. That, like that wasn't Jair. That was uh, an artist called the Grouch, uh, Jair Alexander. Uh, he talks of you know what can you help out uh, with this offense, and what can the defense do better. We'll do the defense. Doing better first. Here, take a listen. It's pretty obvious that the defense has to not give up any touchdowns, you know. I think that's the part of being self-critical of our defense because the offense is pretty young, you know, and they're still figuring out their mojo. So the defense, we got to be the ones to score and stop them from scoring. He just said the defense has to be the one to score and then stop the other team from scoring. You know what it's starting to sound like here? <laughs> With the words out of Jerry Alexander's mouth? What's that? That they are now like the Bears and the Bears defense from back in the day. And it's another team we talk about here and there. The Iowa Hawkeyes, where their special teams and defense have to figure out ways to score. How does that make you feel? It's pretty obvious that the defense has to not give up any touchdowns, you know. I think that's the part of being self-critical of our defense because the offense is pretty young, you know, and they're still figuring out their mojo. So the defense, we got to be the ones to score and stop them from scoring. He, So Jair said two things there. They have to be self-critical uh, and then alluded to it, not letting another team score a touchdown, which would be awesome if your defense is pitching shutouts. But let's be honest with ourselves. That, that doesn't really happen. I don't happen. think this defense yeah, is good enough for yeah. shutouts. And then the first thing out of his mouth after that is we need to score because he alluded to the offense not being able to do it. That's kind of alarming. And, yeah, it harkened back to, what, when sexy Rex Grossman uh, was quarterback for the Chicago Bears and they had that amazing defense and the special teams with Devin Hester that would, you know, score them points. Hell yeah. Now, that worked out pretty good for them. It did. They made it to a Super Bowl. They did. I don't see this Packers team making it to a Super Bowl, though. Uh, Jair also talks about uh, this offense. You know, uh, can he say anything to help the offense? I'm not on the offensive side of the ball, so I can't really speak too much on that. Uh, but there's... You know, you can put me on offense. Um, or, you know, the defense has to do better. You know, defense has to be more self-critical. <laughs> I just love the... Hey, they put uh, Keisha Nixon on offense uh, a couple of games think ago. About, think about this, though, for the Green Bay Packers defense. Now, I know when we've had our battles back and forth with Vagabond John, we, we've talked about how it's not like the Green Bay Packers has seen some great offenses here in the first five games, right? I mean, the Bears offense, we know that that's not great. We know that the Falcons don't have a great high-powered offense. Same with the Saints, same with the Raiders. The only team that has an an above-average offense at this point would be the, the Detroit Lions, and they've been pretty good. But your other four games, you really haven't played great offenses and the defense has played. All right. They've played good enough to keep you in these games, but I think the longer 
we see this season play out, it's because we probably find out that a lot of those other teams they've played actually aren't that good and at best are fringe 500 teams. But if we look at the median uh, NFL points per game, the median is 22 and the average or the mean it's 23.6. We'll round up to 24 points. So basically you're somewhere. The average defense is given up somewhere between 22 and 24 points per game. If you're doing better than that, you're having a pretty decent season. Yeah. Now, I mean, the Packers, when we look at those games, 22 to 24 points, gave up 20 to the Bears. Bears average. But they average more than that. Mm -hmm. They gave up 25 to the Falcons. It's more than the Falcons average. They gave up 17 to the Saints, 34 to the Lions, and 17 to the Raiders. So, I mean, overall... Defense, yeah, it's been all right. It's kept you in games against lesser offenses. It still has kind of given up more points than you would have expected. No, I mean that so Raiders I think game they can be better. But to think all of a sudden, like from Jair's perspective, saying shutouts and scoring more points not, and, yeah. and doing that's not realistic. Well, from the Raiders game though, Rowdy, I mean, how much do you put on the defense though with those interceptions? Two of them from Jordan Love, especially the one. I would say for the most part. The defense, because you also have to think about how the game went. Like the Bears, it makes sense that they gave up more points, 20, to the Bears because you scored 38. That means they had more possessions, more opportunities to score. Plus, there's a thing called garbage time. Yeah. Now, the Falcons, I thought the defense played well for three out of four quarters, but they became a sieve in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. The Saints, that was their best, probably their best performance next to Oakland. We won't talk about the Lions. That was just poor on all fronts. <laughs> and then the Raiders. I, I think the Raiders were probably their best game. Saints probably second. But also, the Raiders have a worse offense than the Saints, and neither are good. Mm-hmm. Um, Saints currently come in as the 22nd best offense for points per game. The Raiders come in 29th. Mm. <laughs> Atlanta's 27. <laughs> Now, Chicago, with their last few games, is up to 13th, and uh, Detroit is 4th. But still, a lot of of those uh, bottom-of-the-barrel offenses that they've played are 22 and below, and then the Bears, who, because they've played those huge shootouts the last few weeks, they've gotten a big boost in points per game. Let's hear one more from Jair than, you know, about patience, you know. It's... um, can patience wear thin? Yeah, for some guys, you know. But, you know, I think, like I said, if everybody takes accountability for themselves, you know, in the little plays that were left out there, man, we could be much better. You know when I think patience will start to run out? Both fans and I think you're going to see a little bit of the team, oh, maybe the Jair are, yeah. Alexanders of the world or some of the more veteran players. I think it's going to be after this bye week because you think about it, you're two and three. You could say that you should probably be three and two. Yeah. If you're have if you're playing better football, you should be three and two. Again, I'm still in the the uh, opinion they should have beaten the Falcons, but should have lost to the Saints. So those even out, and we know they shouldn't. They were nowhere near beating the Lions, and they clearly cleaned the Bears' clock. Yep. He could have won the Raiders game. I think three and two is about right if you played all right football. 
But you look at how bad the freaking Denver Broncos are. Their defense is currently on pace to be the worst defense in NFL history for yards given up. They're they're by far the worst defense in the NFL. You had Miami. Now I get it. Miami's a good offense. Put up 70 on them. I mean, the, the Bears are putting up 30-plus on them. That bears. You can just look right on down the line. This Denver Broncos team hasn't stopped anybody. Like, anybody. No. They gave up... 35 to the Commanders, 70 to the Dolphins, 28 to the Bears, 31 to the basically quarterbackless Jets. Mm. The only team in which they actually stopped was in an interdivision foe in the first week of the season, and the Raiders are 29th in scoring. That's the only team that they've held below 28 points. (sighs) If they can't come off of a bye week, and have that offense at least looking somewhat decent or or good against the Denver Broncos defense that is horrible yeah. and is giving up basically 28 points to everyone but Oakland. When are they ever going to get it on track? I don't, they won't. I don't know. I mean, if if that happens. Like, they that's won't. what I'm If they can't go out there and score 28 points against this Denver team coming off of a bye where you'd imagine that you get... Aaron Jones back. You imagine that you're going to get as healthy as possible on the offensive line, minus Bakhtiari, that you're hopefully going to get some of these defenders like Quay Walker or Devondre Campbell and some of these guys that have come down with injuries, Darnell Savage. If you can't put it all together and look good and good offensively against Denver, that's when the patience. Who are you going to do it against? And then that's where it's going to wear thin because then who are you going to do it against? Yeah. Let's see here. Because remember, we were like, oh, the Packers' schedule, it actually is pretty easy to, sp- to begin the year. They don't play a playoff team until well, whatever week it was. It was like uh, somewhere after the bye. Then you look at this, you're like, okay, well, if it's easy part of the schedule, we stink. And you know what else? <laughs> I think good. we should probably keep this in mind. When the, the Packers' defense has played well outside of that Lions game, They've really played well for the first half or the first three quarters. Like, I think you could argue that second half against Oakland or against Las Vegas where that uh, Quay Walker gets hurt, all of a sudden Las Vegas could run the football better. They started moving the football more. Jimmy G looked more competent. It felt like once they could run the football in the second half, they played better. We all know that the defense looked much worse in the second half against the Falcons. So you're telling me that when the defense overall has played all right against some of these lesser teams, they still have faded somewhat in the second half, most games outside of the Saints. Mm -hmm. You know where they're playing Denver at? Denver, Colorado. Yeah. You know what? They're going you know, mile high, baby. They're going mile high to altitude. You know what's going to hit you even harder? In the, the altitude. Half? The altitude. <laughs> and if you're playing down where you don't have maybe two or three inside linebackers to play, or you're shorthanded in the secondary with a savage injury or whatever, and you're grabbing scrubs off the practice squad, that's going to hit you even harder. Mm-hmm. So that so you are going to need the offense to step up and score more against a terrible defense, especially if the defense is going to be sucking wind and has been playing average at best and fading in second halves. And speaking of uh, off of that bye, Matt LaFleur has not won a game off the bye. The dude, the dude, you ever heard of the saying, um, 
uh, what was it, paralysis by overanalysis? Oh, yeah, I've heard that one. Well, that's a Matt LaFleur. Like, you look that up in the uh, the dictionary, and there's a picture of Matt LaFleur getting his eyebrows done as he's looking at his uh, his play sheet, and he's <laughs> paralyzing himself over overanalyzing. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. What's happening to me? Will Russell Wilson have a – well, I mean, Russell – I don't know, this Denver Broncos game. Be like, well, it's the Broncos. Well, you got the mile high thing, and the Packers offense stinks. And Ru- I don't know, what's the take on Russell Wilson right now? If if the, if the offense, this is worst case scenario. They have their bye. The offense comes out and looks okay at best against a crappy Denver Broncos team, and then the, the defense gasses out in the second half or the fourth quarter, and they somehow lose. You're two and four. You easily probably could have been four and two if you were playing competent football. What are you thinking? That's where the patience will run thin. Mm -hmm. And that's where the season might be. uh, Does it coincide with the air being thin there, Rowdy? Patience and air both runs thin if there's a loss in Denver Sunday, October 22nd. Patience and air thin. And then your following week, you're probably going to get. uh, Maximus, say to Maximus. Something in dust. Oh, man. Ashes and dust. Ashes and dust. <laughs> what, Rody? No, I was just going to say, um, when you're playing Minnesota the following week, you have to figure that that would probably be, like, close to the last breath of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. <gasps> you, at the time, that trade deadline is, is creeping up around that time. I think it's, like, Halloween. So he could still be a Viking, and if you're really... October 31st is the trade deadline. Yeah. If you're really reeling that much, imagine playing a crappy Vikings team that's about to trade Kirk Cousins, and then he beats you. Tough. All right, we'll uh, take a break. That's worst case scenario. That's the worst case. Kind of sounds like a likely scenario. All right. (laughs) Packers are. I've been getting emails. Listeners have been emailing me yesterday. I want to bring this conversation up, too, about a uh, quarterback. Not, well, I guess about Jordan Love, but backup quarterbacks. Speaking of backup quarterbacks, we got to talk Kurt Benkert as well. Uh, A certain team, once they started listening to Creed, we'll do a little Major League Baseball playoffs to start off the show. The Rangers beat up on the Orioles 7-1, to one, and you can go back, and we did this yesterday on the show. Their season turned around the moment they started playing Creed in the clubhouse. They have now uh, bested the Orioles and are moving on, Rowdy. Wow. Yeah, so the last two years, Texas has spent some big-time money out in free agency. Obviously, they had some good in-house prospects and players to begin with, but they go out, spend a little money. They bring in Bruce Bochy, obviously a long-tenured San Francisco Giants manager. You remember back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when it felt like every other year it was the Giants or the Cardinals winning? Yeah. Bruce Bochy was the man managing those teams. So clearly a, a guy that knows and has been around baseball for forever. They bring him in, obviously have a good season, but uh, one of their biggest uh, money spent, Jacob deGrom on the IL. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, they beat the Orioles, and it's funny because, uh, you know, you're always scrolling Twitter, and and when big events like that happen, people from other fan bases pop up on your Twitter. Oriole fans, not nearly as upset as Brewer fans. No. And if you think about it... Well, they had 101 the wins. Bre- the Brewers won 92 games and won the Central. The Orioles won 101 games. It's insane. And won the East. I don't 
think many Oriole fans were expecting that type of output. Because if you remember last year, this was a team with a ton of good prospects, and it seemed like a really good future. Yeah. And they brought up Adley Rushman, their catcher. And after they brought him up roughly midseason, uh, they really took off, and they became like that fringe playoff team. They didn't end up making it, but it felt like they were the 2017 Brewers. Yeah, yeah. This year for them almost feels like, as Brewer fans, the 2018 year, though they didn't make it a game away from the World Series. They make it to the divisional round. They win 100 games. They win their division. This is a team with a ton of future in front of them. Oh, yeah, they got a lot of uh, bright side. We thought we were in good shape for a nice run for like five years with that Brewer team from 2018. This is their 2018, but they have younger guys that are higher touted and a bigger farm system with deeper and they're in Baltimore with potentially deeper pockets. This team... They're in a good spot. They are. Uh, Rangers, I'm telling you, man, 90 wins on the season to the Orioles, 101. The Rangers turned that season around when they asserted Blair and Creed. Again, I'll drive that point home in the clubhouse. Did the Brewers? You know who's on did the, they play the Rangers? Did they play the Rangers this year? I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember offhand. Yeah, they did. Yeah, They, they took two out of three, I think, in Texas, or did they sweep them? They swept them. Brewers won 9-8, to 6-1, and then 6-2. Um, that was right after. That was late August. Yeah, that was right after August. kind of the struggles in yeah, Washington right after, and, and uh, L.A., if I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was after the Brewers uh, got swept by the Dodgers, uh, the White Sox. Oh, they swept the White Sox and then beat got swept by the Dodgers, and they swept the Rangers. Yeah, because it was right after that really bad series. Then they went and, and swept like, the Twins, and they beat the Padres up, and they, they got hot. That yeah, was, that was the start of when they got hot. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Rangers, though, that Ranger team was really good to start the season. Their bullpen started uh, crapping oh. out on them midseason, and their bullpen was god-awful. It was a bottom-five bullpen, or bottom five to seven bullpen in major league baseball for the entirety of the season. Now, all of a sudden in the postseason, they're pitching extremely well. Creed. And do you know who's in the bullpen for them? Who? Matt effing Bush. No. Oh yes. Cause that's, he picked he them was, up. Yeah. Remember After the Brewers bounced him. He, he, he is uh, found his rhythm with the Texas Rangers. Unbelievable dude. Uh, last season before getting traded to the Brewers. Then when the Brewers DFA'd him, guess who snatched him back up? <laughs> the Texas. Rangers. And you know, Creed is the savior of everyone there in Texas. Uh, and Kinger on Twitch just said, don't you remember? And after the Brewers got swept by the Dodgers, RJ came in here and said the Brewers wouldn't win another game against the Rangers. Do you remember? You might have been I'm taking vacation days then. RJ came in and was all pissed off, and rightfully so. I mean, the Brewers looked terrible against the Dodgers. And then RJ's like, they're never going to win against the Rangers. And then they swept the Rangers. But, yeah, uh, Orioles. So, Orioles fan base, Rowdy, you said a little less hacked off than the Brewers fan yeah, base. Yeah, I didn't see too much uh, people being upset. I think it was more or less well, Who's got just... a bigger fan base, the Brewers or the Orioles? I don't know. I mean, I Baltimore yeah, is both... a pretty, pretty big uh, city. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't. I honestly run into too many Orioles fans at all. The only one that I can think of at the top of my head is Elaine Bennis when she goes to uh, Yankee Stadium and is wearing the Orioles hat and gets kicked out. So you had the Rangers moving on uh, after you know getting it done with Creed, and then I was watching the Astros Twins game. The Twins never stood a chance. Uh, it was Astros early right away, and uh, Twins had a couple opportunities where they had the bases loaded a few times. But uh, Astros just worked their way right out of it. Uh, Astros are now up uh, two to one in the ALDS against the uh, the Twinkies. Twins fans got to be feel pretty good. Like 
How greedy can you get if you're a Twins fan, Rowdy? I mean, you haven't had a playoff win in 19 years. You finally, you know, advance in the series. It might be a Razor's ed- edge oh. pick for us Ooh. coming up Ooh. because it feels like the Twins, you know, got that monkey off their back. Almost like they, they defeated their demons in that wild card round, finally getting a, a series win. We'll see moving forward, though, because uh, they're on the brink of elimination today. Yeah. Uh, Strolls are just, I mean, they're good. And then uh, today you have Braves Phillies. That's tied at one apiece. That's tonight at four, later this afternoon, 4.07. Uh, I don't want to silly thunder from the Razor's edge. Anything Braves Phillies related? Nope, nothing for sure going to be coming from that game. Yeah, Phillies Braves. Um, Phillies kind of choking away game one or game two. I mean, what do you think, Rowdy? This the Braves. I, so I I want to make a prediction in that series that the Braves come back and win three one and they advance, and it's going to be a a situation where the Phillies come out, shut the Braves' high powered offense out in in game one, three to nothing. Then they're they have their uh, arguably their second best pitcher. You could even argue their best pitcher and Zach Wheeler on the mound for game two. And they have a four to nothing lead going into the bottom of the six. The Braves end that game scoring one in the sixth, <laughs> two in the seventh, two in the eighth, taking a five to four lead in the top of the uh, going to the top of the ninth, and then shutting the door in the top of the ninth for a win. And we already laughed at how Ben Kenny was beside I himself. I find his Twitter here. Uh, worst loss of his life. Now I just feel like it's just going to be a Braves beatdown the next two games, and the Phillies were going to be. What basically three, four innings away from a two nothing lead and a stranglehold of the Braves and going going to Philadelphia for a game three for an elimination game only for it to be snatched away from him so, in the Braves role. I just pulled up Ben Kenny's Twitter account. Ben Kenny used to work for us. He's from Philadelphia. I was here going to UW Madison and then he worked with us for a couple of years. And now he's back in Philadelphia. So uh, this is October 9th, the last time they played Rowdy. Uh, the first tweet of the night from during the game is at 7.15, so as the game's underway, Ben Kenny tweets out, probably the second most dominant postseason start I've ever seen by a Philly. And that he's he's talking about game one. Yep. And game one would have been Aaron Nola, I believe. So uh, 17 minutes later at 7.32, he responds to his own tweet and says, dumbass. And then at 8.07, he tweets out, this is a nightmare. And then at 10.31, once the game concludes, upon further review, that was the single worst Phillies loss of my life. And that's the last time he had tweeted, October 9th. Our only one and only Ben Kenny. Oh, take that back. I thought Nola started game one. It wasn't. It was Ranger Suarez. Oh. <laughs> and then they used a big bullpen game. <laughs> this is the worst. Upon further review, this, this was the worst, single worst Phillies loss of my life. Ben Kenny. <laughs> My my bad. Nola's going tonight. It's fine. You're fine. Uh, then yeah, Rowdy said uh, Twins on the brink of elimination tonight. And then at uh, eight oh seven, you have the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. Uh, Diamondbacks are up two to nothing on this one. And if you beat the Brewers in the playoffs, a hundred percent of the time, this is the trend, and it is factual. You can look it up. A hundred percent of the time, if you beat the Brewers in the playoffs, you go to the World Series. Diamondbacks up two nothing on the Dodgers. I don't know. I feel like the Braves or the Braves, the Dodgers got to get one right. Yeah, they got Lynn the night versus. Fought. Lance Lynn has always been a big game pitcher, and he always seems like he pitches well in big moments. Now I get it. He's getting older, but his season is night and day. When he was with the White Sox earlier in the year, not very good. Then he gets traded to L.A., pitched pretty darn well for L.A. down the stretch. But, yeah, Brandon fought. 
I went through his box scores and some of his statistics against the Dodgers. Let's just say every game he appeared against the Dodgers, he got hit extremely hard, like to the tune of having an ERA around nine against LA in multiple starts. Yeah, because they know each other. They're, I mean, obviously. And overall, for the entirety of the season, Dodgers have had a better bullpen, though the beginning of the year they were awful, and now they're showing up horribly so far through these first two games. But the Diamondbacks, their bullpen just in general hasn't been the greatest either. I feel like the Dodgers got to get a win tonight. Your backs are against the wall. You, you, you win or you go home. I feel like they're got to beat Brandon fought. Now, do I think they win the hey, series? Brewers couldn't do it. I mean, they got to win three in a row to win the series. I don't know if they win the series just because of the hole they put themselves in, but you, you gotta think that LA with their last gasp of air here beats Brandon fought. Hey, what the Dodgers could only get a ring rowdy in the, in the COVID year. Right. I mean, Oh, trust me. Uh, we have uh, listeners still tweeting at me. Yeah, about the COVID. Oh, no, about the Dodgers, and I'll show. I'll send it to you. Dodgers. I mean, Dodgers didn't win a ring. What? Uh, Nineteen eighty-eight. Then they had to wait till the COVID year, uh, twenty twenty, to get one. I sent you the tweet of uh, a listener questioning my fandom from almost a week ago. Oh yeah, our, our guy re, content re-energizing it with a tweet at me last night to the same thread about the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> he's well, he's just waiting around for you to to, to 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 eat. I don't or I don't know. Same old Dodgers too. They suck. Worthless coach. The Dodgers they hadn't won a ring since 1988. Now and they won in 2020. And that was a fake. We all say fake rings for NBA with the Lakers in that 2020 ring. But I don't know. Like, but I think you can go back to roughly that 2020. Do you, how do you recognize that 2020 ring? I mean, it's a World Series. Yeah, it's, it's a short. You have it. Always will be like the an asterisk. asterisk next to it. I mean, you can go through like the old um, baseball encyclopedia or, or the baseball reference, right? Mm-hmm. And you can find games or seasons in which there was a strike sort and season, and then it'll be like uh, Tony Gwynn hit this, and then there'll be an asterisk and say, you know. Strike short and see. So they're always have an asterisk by it, but they won. Yeah. Everyone else had to play in the same, the same situations and settings just, that they had. Just, it was a little, it was just a, it was a little shine. A, off it was an of abbreviated it. season. Yeah. yeah. And well, the funniest thing about it all, you, would you, would you really say, Oh, no, what if the Brewers think? did if it, I'd celebrate won, it. I'd you celebrate bet it. your ass we and would if anyone, celebrate. 1982 would be forgotten. It would be 2020. And if anyone told me differently, I'd tell them to go F themselves, exactly. essentially. The, the funniest thing about the 2020 season was when Justin Turner literally, on when everyone was freaking, well, not everyone, with, when all the uh, safe spacers were freaking out about COVID, uh, Justin Turner had COVID, and they locked him in a closet and then let him back out on the field to celebrate with everyone. That was that was the funniest thing to me of that season, Rowdy. It was literally like everyone's freaking out about COVID. Well, they let him on the field and celebrate. And if you remember at that time, if I remember correctly, there was no rapid testing. So remember they were testing like every day, but no, then they're going to die. But then, but then remember it took a while. Yeah. So, so when Justin Turner originally was, he was playing in the game yeah, but they pulled him. when they got the results, but he had already <laughs> been playing for like yeah. half the game. So they pulled him, they locked him in like a closet. And then they're like, yeah, well, we still have the half the game left. And then we end up winning and we celebrate. Well, they brought Actually, him back yeah. Come out of the closet and, 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 hug, come out here and, and hug and celebrate. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Hey, 2020, 2020 literally made now a lot of people are still in a trance. Uh, the trance athlete has never been stronger, but a lot of people are, are still in the trance. But 2020, 
some people broke out of the trance. You're like, okay, all, all of this is fake and BS. Like this is this is just not. It makes sense if you don't think about it. And people are still stuck in that. And that just pointed more to it, Rowdy, when Justin Turner was made to come off the field, then allowed back out to celebrate and hug everyone. But I mean, if you're the Dodgers, you think about ever since uh, probably the late, uh, sorry, the early to mid 2010s, where you kind of had your Matt Kemp, your Andre Ethier, um, those type of teams. They were, they've been good. Mm -hmm. Like they've been really, really good and they'll make it to the world series. They'll make it to the NLCS. They'll make it to the NLDS. They'll win a hundred games or so. And it's just like, they can't, they just couldn't break through, but they were good every single year. These people that are saying, oh, well, the Dodgers didn't do this and the dot. Yeah. But if we were Brewer fans, it would be like Brewer fans having the quote unquote golden era for the last decade yeah. of, but you'd be winning, winning. you'd be winning a hundred games every year. It'd be like the Packers will go to the NFC championship games every year. The same people that tell you that, you know, this is the golden era and we should be happy that we have a team and you should, you should be thankful. They're the same ones that are poo pooing the Dodgers. Yeah. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. Well, it's like, okay, like the, it's like the Packers, Rowdy, after Rodgers won the Super Bowl, they got all those NFC championship games. You have all those NFC North titles. You have all those amazing records, but you never got a championship. Did we think of the Packers as the golden age then with them getting the NFC championship but games that's and losing? The thing. With like, how, that's the same as Dodgers. With the Dodgers farm system and how good it's actually been the last decade plus, and the fact that they have all the money in the world to spend. When are they going to be bad? No, it's n- not. You're not. And until that, you're not. Until that uh, front office slash ownership is gone, where they obviously have the ability to grow and develop players or make trades with their other pieces in their farm system, the ability to spend money and to put their players and coaches in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a pretty well-oiled machine since they took yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, as long as there's not a salary cap and you're in that market and you know, you're that's the like, Dodgers, you're, you're always going to be good. Remember, uh, that's what makes it crazier that they didn't win a world series since 88. Rem- speaking of the 80s, I was born in 88. Remember when we were talking about, uh, the Yankees and how the Yankees were struggling. They were on pace for their first losing season. I think since was it 82? 82 or something. It was something. They finished 82 and 80. They they nearly finished under 500 for the first time in like 40 years. But they, they didn't because they're still the Yankees and they can still spend that money. And they still uh, under Brian Cashman still do have relatively good. um, Their last losing single season was 1992, 1992. That's what it was. So 30 over 30 years. Yeah. So you're, you're telling me that if you can spend money and have decent enough people in the front office that you're not going to have a losing season for over 30 years? Yeah, that's, and again, that's impressive. They, they went 82 and 80. They yeah. still had a winning year. Yeah, it was a down year for the Yankees. Well, then look at like the Boston Red Sox. I mean, they've had they've had losing records, and they're a giant franchise in a market, too. Like That's crazy for the Yankees, over 30 years of not a losing record. And that's why it's like for us Brewer fans, it's like... <laughs> We went nearly 30 years without making it to the playoffs. Like, <laughs> like uh, I mean, look at the Red Sox. Let's see here. When's the last time they had a losing season? I this guess, year. Yeah, this year? <laughs> they had 70 wins. T- 2020, if you want to consider it. And then you got to go, what, to 2015 is when they had 78 wins. See, I feel like 2020 
you throw that year out for any player that struggled, any team that struggled because it was two months. But if you were the team that won, heck yeah, you celebrate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked about this in the 8 o'clock hour yesterday, and I wanted to bring it up. The reason why the uh, Texas Rangers have now swept the 101-win Orioles and advanced to their uh, ALCS. You can pinpoint the exact moment. It's to uh, the band Creed. And yesterday, Rowdy, uh, I can't believe this is uh, a thing I'm going to play. For the Texas Rangers at their ballpark, they did have a Creed's hire sing-along before the game. This crowd belts it. Just a crowd of, God, how many people are probably there? Like, you know, 30-something thousand singing along to Creed's higher. And that it propelled them to the sweep of the Orioles to advance. Unbelievable. Why couldn't the Brewers have thought of something like Should've that? Should have wore my Rangers shirt. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. Do you have a Rangers hat, too, or just a shirt? Just a shirt. Is it a T-shirt jersey, or is it just a... No, just, just, a, a, just, just a, a Rangers shirt. Just the Rangers. Yeah, Texas Rangers went 7-1. to one, advanced I to think the with the teams left now, because on the AL side, it's the Twins, Astros, and obviously the Twins are on the verge of elimination. And then Houston, or sorry, then Texas. I think I'd be rooting for Texas on that side as well. But even before the Creed, I think that would have been the team that I probably would have picked up. Even before the Creed. I'd probably rank them (laughs) Texas 1, Minnesota 2, obviously Houston 3. Then on the NL, I think we know um, I'll go Braves 1. I'll go with the um, Diamondbacks 2 because of beating the Brewers and keeping that trend alive. Dodgers 3, Phillies 4, and then in parentheses after the Phillies, Ben Kenny. The fighting fills. Um, I'm. I want them to lose and lo- and suffer. I'm uh, the my biggest intrigue of Major League Baseball's playoffs now is if that stat can and trend can stay alive. If you beat the Milwaukee Brewers in the playoffs, one hundred percent of the time you go to the World Series. Can that trend stay alive? As the Diamondbacks are already up two to nothing it's on the Dodgers, eight for eight, eight for eight. So uh, looking to go to nine for nine, and then I mean, you got no schleps. You have no schleps, Rowdy. Uh, if you do pass the Dodgers, because I mean, I'm going to assume the Braves. It's one one. Are going to make it there? Pivotal game three. I'm going to. I'm just going to lean Braves, just because you know they're the Braves. If the Diamondbacks are able to best the Dodgers, which looks like they can do, and then go and best potentially the Atlanta Braves, it the Brewers will never, ever make it to a World Series because it's more of the universe going against them. One, one further. If they do that, they won a best of three series in Milwaukee against the third best team in the NL, and they sweep 2 nothing. We'll just say they sweep tonight. They would then have had been the lower seed in a best of five and swept the two-seeded Dodgers who, oh, by the way, were a top... I think they were the third best team in baseball. And then they would have had to have go on the road against Atlanta, win a best of seven, and they were the best team in baseball. Unbelievable. 
Hey, we'll get to our comments from Matt Arnold coming up. At that point, soon. if that does happen, wow, and it, we'll and never it, win. We'll get into Matt Arnold coming up here at nine o'clock. Matt Arnold, Brewers president, baseball operations, talking about Craig Council, talking about Corbin Burns. It's a guy in a suit on a podium. When you see a guy in a suit on a podium with cameras in his face, do you actually believe what he says? Who's more believable, a politician or a GM of a, a sports franchise? That's who's, who's more believable in front of a podium, a politician or a GM? That's probably a GM. I, I would lean GM as well, but that's they're both kind of one and the same. Liars or non-truth tellers. Politicians are liars, but we'll get into that. As uh, Craig Council is still uh, floating around out there, and Corbin Burns, uh, spoiler, Matt Arnold said he'd like him back. <laughs> uh, I think we th- all would. Well, King Kinger said he. Well, he calls Burns bum bum Burns, but he did see he'd like to see Corbin Burns uh, sign an extension in Milwaukee just to the pain and misery of having to pitch in Wisconsin still. King is so full of crap. He's eating so many hats. He's so like he's so constipated that he's got so much crap inside of him. If he, ax, King. if he doesn't want Corbin Burns to be a Milwaukee Brewer for the next five years. I don't know. Brewers fans, do you want Corbin Burns to be a, a Milwaukee Brewer? I mean, people are salty about what he did uh, game one of the See, playoffs. Everyone wants everyone wants the guy that they perceive to be an issue or a problem off the team, even if they're a really good player, because they'll claim that they can replace him and they, they can do this, so they'll draft this. And then they'll see what the replacement and whatever it is that is now on the team is after that, and they'll want the old guy back. Uh, look no further than the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so many people, well, I wish Aaron Rodgers was back after the performance against the Raiders. It's the same thing. Where do you think you're going to find a Cy Young caliber pitcher? They don't grow on trees, and you don't have a money tree to go pay for hey, one. They apparently grow sometimes in the Brewers pitching lab. That's where Corbin Burns found his stuff. That's the other thing. Okay, the Brewers have a great pitching staff. Yeah, they do have a pitching lab. And, yeah, they've had three... Cy Young caliber pitchers in Woodruff, in Burns, and in Peralta. Guess what? How many others can you name in franchise history? Well, they had the pitching lab then, Rowdy. <laughs> what pitching lab did they have? Like, okay, so we're talking about a franchise that's been around for 50 years, and you're talking about having, like, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight Cy Young caliber pitchers? So you get maybe one and a half a decade. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, when he was on the team, he did let uh, this quarterback get in the game, and I think he knelt the ball twice. I think that's his only regular season accolades for at least the Packers was kneeling the ball once or twice, victory formation, uh, when Aaron Rodgers demanded that he got in. That would be Kurt Benkert. If you remember him, he was the backup backup for the Packers. He had some interesting stuff to say about one Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. Now, Matt LaFleur has uh, kind of, you know, turned into public enemy number one after the Lions debacle and then the real stinker against the Raiders. People are now, I think, coming around to being like, is Matt LaFleur just a hanger on of the coattails of one Aaron Rodgers? 
Does this guy actually knows what he's doing? Is he? He's from the Shanahan tree. He has yet to best any of his buddies. Has Matt Lafleur bested any of his buddies from the same kind of tree that he's from, Rowdy? The Salas, the uh, McVeighs, the who else is in there? Not off the top of my head, because remember, um, Shanahan had absolutely dominated him 2019 yep, with yep. San Francisco. Um, I think they beat San Francisco once in 2020. And I, if I remember correctly, I think CJ Beth third, who now has his second mention on the show today <laughs> was the quarterback. I think that yeah, is pack, true. Yep, Packers won November 5th, 2020, 34 to 17. But that again, that was with no co- quarterback and a banged up 49ers oh, it was Nick, team. It was Nick Mullins. Was it Nick Mullins? I knew Nick it was Mullins. a backup. Yeah. So yeah, they won with a or the Packers won, but they beat a backup, and that was when San Francisco had a. I mean, they've had a really good roster since 2019, but it was really banged up that year and really injured. That well, was Packers the year won that in, they won. Packers won in 2021 as well, 30 to 28. But in the and big games and then was. the dominant ones, the Packers have gotten their ass kicked. Yeah, and then and the ones you, that really mattered. When you think of uh, when you think of Salah, obviously he was part of those defenses in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But how about the Jets last season? No, oh, they were. They I mean, they they beat the Packers. They beat the Packers with Zach Wilson. Yeah, it was a terrible, awful game. All right, well, so for Matt Lafleur, people are turning on him, right? So I think I I think the Kyle Shanahan wins for Matt Lafleur. You can easily point to injuries and lack of quarterback play for San Francisco. Not that, and at the time in those games, Packers and the talent on the field were way more superior. But when it's been even or like a playoff game, it's been one sided. Here is Kurt Benkert talking about. Now he's on a podcast uh, with some other uh, some Jablonskis. I don't know the exact name of the podcast, so maybe I'll figure it out. I don't really care. But I do care about what Kurt Ben Kurt had to say. Take a listen. What was Kurt's least favorite coordinator to work with? Oh. <laughs> We're getting spicy, boys. God. Okay. So I'm going to go head coaches here. I played for Dan Quinn, who I absolutely love. I really loved Kyle Shanahan, and LaFleur and I really butted heads. And I will just be very honest about it. The beginning when things were really good, by the time that I got released from the Packers, transparently, I went home after an OTA practice and I just told my wife, like, dude, I cannot do this shit anymore. It is driving me insane because I was just like getting it, dude. It's off season. Aaron Rodgers wasn't there to like kind of lighten up the mood. A lot of coaches had left. Some players had left. It was that new year. And I ended up getting cut like three weeks later, thankfully. He was just unloading on me every day and I, I didn't take it anymore. And that's why I ended up getting cut. And it kind of left a really sour taste in my mouth because I freaking loved Green Bay. I rode for it. Like, dude, it was just like... That's that's, that's that's that was my experience at the end. All right, and our- All right, so there's uh, what he said. Then Kurt Becker went into it more on his Twitter account. He did a, a diatribe on why he didn't like it. Uh, I'll try to do the cliff note version of it. Uh, he said, "I'll start by giving my honest opinions about the scheme for Matt Lafleur. It's outdated. There's a better way to play offense out right now." I'm not going to go into full detail, but I talk about stuff all the time on my reviews. So on a personal level, outside of football, our personalities couldn't have been more opposite. And we spend countless hours around people, like, and your personalities aren't meshing. It's like he said, having a boss you don't vibe with. And he said, uh, when you're in a quarterback room, regardless of position on the roster, you're expected to contribute and speak up, especially a room with Aaron Rodgers. And if you think keeping your opinions to yourself was an option on scheme, play design, matchup, et cetera, good luck with that. 
He said, uh, so over a year, giving my point of view on how I see the game offense mixed in the fact that I was doing a lot in the gaming and media space as well as being a player, it was clear that I wasn't liked too much by Matt LaFleur. Uh, he goes on to say about, you know, if you think players only get cut over performance or personal conduct issues, you may have forgotten that sometimes people just have different personalities that don't fit with the ones in charge. I'm sure some of you experienced this before, and the NFL is no different. So, Kurt Benkert, I, I see where he's coming from, but I also feel like you're Kurt Benkert. Yeah, like you could totally, the the, the boss you don't vibe with, yeah. or I think the most interesting of all of that is the outdated yeah, system. Yeah, the first part about it too is like, it's outdated. But I feel like I'm with you where I'm, I have one foot in on this and I have one foot out because clearly they could have not gotten along and just didn't, they didn't mix. But also that could be, it didn't mix and it wasn't a good fit, but you're also Kurt Benkert. So you're expendable. Yes. Like you've been on, you know, a handful of different teams in your career, whether that be a practice squad in the NFL or an XFL type squad. So it's not like you were someone here to stay. And what, what he also mentions, which is true is when you are that guy, when you are the second, third, maybe if they're keeping four quarterbacks type guy, you have to be in that room. You have to be helping with scheme and coming up with game plans. That's part of the job. That's what those guys do. Mm-hmm. How many of these guys uh, maintain backup quarterback or like third slash practice squad type quarterbacks because they're that good at game planning and scheming and helping on that front that God knows if they ever play, you're going to get smoked because they're not yes. that good, but they're good at the game planning. That's why you see a lot of these guys transition like the uh, Kellen Moores of the world, really good division one college quarterback at Boise played in the NFL, became one of those guys where it was like, Hey, Kellen, you know, I don't think this is, <laughs> hey, I don't really think you're going to be a player, but you're phenomenal with the scheme stuff. Why don't you move more towards you know, a coaching position. And then that's what he started doing. And now look at, he was one of the more higher regarded offensive coordinators. Right. And he's Mm -hmm. still relatively, relatively young because he was that, that good at that type of stuff when he was a backup, backup quarterback. So that can prolong some certain careers. Now back to Benker and, and uh, Matt LaFleur, I find it interesting. So I went down the rabbit hole of Kurt Benker, right? Mm -hmm. So he played, Three seasons, basically, with the Falcons from 18 to 20. 2021 was with the Packers. 2022 was with the 49ers. And then he had some fun in the XFL. Um, But overall, you look at who was there in Atlanta. His offensive coordinators in Atlanta, because Dan Quinn is a defensive-minded head coach. Steve Sarkeesian was there for two years. Now, Steve Sarkeesian in college football is seen as a really good offensive mind, just a good offensive mind in general. Now the head coach of Texas, remember when he had uh, his own opportunities, he was the one that kind of did some stuff to his own image with the off the field stuff. And then remember who grabbed him and was like, I'll give you a second chance. You're great at what you do. Be an offensive coordinator for me. Nick Saban in Alabama got his career back on track. Now he's with Texas. So he is seen as a guy that is highly sought after as an offensive mind. Uh, Then there was Dirk Cotter. uh, Cotter. He's just been around for a long time. So he's been good enough to stick around. And then there would be Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan. Clearly, 
Kyle Shanahan is highly regarded. Yeah. Matt LaFleur, I feel like in some camps is highly regarded and others maybe not as much as, as your Shanahan's or Sarkeesian's. So those are the type of minds that he's been with. And for Kurt Benker to say outdated, that means you're clearly behind a Kyle Shanahan. You're clearly the tree behind, you come from. Yeah, you're clearly behind then a Sean McVay, which was also part of your tree. Yep. You've been beaten thoroughly and dominated defensively by Robert Sala, who's your buddy. And also, I guess you could also say that tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, Kurt Benkert thinks that uh, Steve Sarkeesian is is more of a mind offensively than you. And Dirk Cotter is a guy that's been around for forever. And I wouldn't say was ever super great, but he's been around and been decent. But it sounds but he prefers like you that over love. Yeah, it sounds like from the comments made, whether that be the, the combination of, of ability and personality clearly likes him better than LaFleur, which kind of, it feels like it tells you something. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's Kurt Benker, but he was on the Packers. He was there. He was a professional NFL player and he was in the room. But I also feel like if you're Matt LaFleur, if you have a guy that is supposed to be your third string quarterback, your scheme, your game plan, helping with it. If you don't like that guy and he pisses you off or annoys you, he, you can probably find somebody that's relatively close to his ability. Yes. Unless he is just the greatest mind, like whatever out there, but then he's probably moving towards coaching anyways. Yeah, Kurt Benkert is an expendable piece. Exactly. And replaceable like piece. If, if he was, like, don't get me wrong, Kurt Benkert probably knows more about quarterbacks and game plan than any of us or anyone oh, yeah, listening for sure. because he's been in that room. He's done that for roughly five years of his life, yeah. and he was in the NFL. He, he does, like, seminars on it, too, they can and, buy from him. And he was rubbing elbows with the Lafleurs, the Shanahan's, yeah. the Sarkeesian. So, yeah, he knows more than anyone that we're going to be talking to. But at the same time, just, if, if he was that high and that good at it for them to want to be able to keep him, he's probably like a Kellen Moore that would have transferred into the coaching realm. Yeah. But he didn't. So I think there's a little truth to both. I just think it's a little alarming that we're seeing the uh, offense run as is. And it's not looking good, and there's inconsistencies. And, outdated. and Aaron Rodgers clearly wanted out. Yep. And now you had this backup say outdated, outdated. I didn't like it. Yeah. It's it feels like where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, then you go watch the Lions game, and then the Raiders game. I don't know if it stinks, and, but the Lions, there's injuries, right? Aaron so Jones, the Lions. My question is, if this is a thing that maybe holds holds some truth to it. How long, if the Packers keep playing like this, do you keep LaFleur? Yeah. Let's go to the phones, 608-321-1670. Thanks for waiting on hold line one. Who do we got? On the belt line, on my way to the giant steaming pile of dung that is the city of Chicago. Oh, Vagabond Johnny, what's up, dude? Yikes. What do you, what do you got? Oh, you got your uh, little sem- your meeting. A meeting? Didn't you Didn't you have like a, like a, like a. Oh, it's good. Yeah, work. Just work. Yeah. Hey, real quick before we get into but, your take here, uh, I saw on your um, Instagram story because uh, you just you just got you know battle over a sickness. It was saltine crackers versus like chicken, what, what the chicken biscuit ones. Yeah. What one? Which cracker did people side with when you're sick? Chicken and 
the Biscuits no, dominated that no, matchup. They no. came out. They knew their game plan. They knew exactly how to execute it. It wasn't outdated like those crusty saltines. Oh. New modern era of cracker, and they took it to the saltine. The saltine is the premier cracker here, Vegabon Johnny. If it wasn't for the saltine, you would never have your chicken and biscuit. If we were talking 2016, maybe in Atlanta, I bet you everybody loves saltines. But at this point, you know, it's 2023. The cracker game has changed. Dude. We got to move on. People love Taylor Swift, therefore they love saltine crackers. They're like one and the same. I don't know what it means, but I know that I mean it. <laughs> Hey, 40, I think Saltine's got 40, 45% of the vote. Yeah, but one of those votes is for me. They're still there. But, look, you made a comment, you know, uh, in talking about Kirk Benkert. I followed him for a long time. I I, uh, I partake in the video games myself every once in a while, and he puts out pretty good content. Mm-hmm. And he's an educator when it comes to football. He yeah. really he really breaks stuff down for people. He's a good follow. Um, but, you, you know, you mentioned, come on, you're Kirk Benkert. And I'm thinking to myself, well, compared to LaFleur, he lasted in the NFL a heck of a lot longer than that guy did. I don't think LaFleur ever played it down in the NFL. So, for their stage of their career, Rick Benkert's way ahead of Matt LaFleur. But what I was curious, and when I got into a deep dive last night, is comparing, because everybody wants to say, you know, Joe Barry, 0-16 Lions, like 20 years ago, and then, you know, he had a bad defense with the, with the at the time, Redskins. And they're saying, what has he done to really earn a head coaching job? And so then I was like, okay, well, I'm curious if that's the standard for, for Joe Barry. What did Matt LaFleur exactly do to earn a head coaching job? I, and I dove into that resume. It's I, not good. Were we... Did he lie? Dude, he, how the hell did this I don't know how better? he did it because every place that he left, the offense got better once he left. I don't know how he wooed over Mark Murphy uh, in the job interview process. I have no idea. Johnny, back in 20, 2019 when he was hired, some people were saying he's the wonder boy because he was part of the Shanahan tree and McVay and all that. I was one of the the detractors saying, bringing up the, well, his offenses in Tennessee weren't good. Uh, his stops in, was it uh, Washington? He was like the third, fourth guy on crew. Like, there's a lot. The Notre Dame, I think he was, uh, was it OC or offensive, whatever, Notre Dame? It was like, there's not a lot there that says that he was going to be great other than rubbing elbows with your McVeighs and Shanahan's. Here's a- but then they started out hot, so no one questioned Well, it was Aaron Rodgers. Here's the confirmed interviews that they had. Jim Caldwell, Chuck Pagano, Gentle Joe Philbin, Josh, I'm an idiot, McDaniels, Brian Flores, Dan Campbell, uh, Pete Carmichael, Todd Monken, Adam Wonky-Eyed Gase, and Matt LaFleur. Yeah, Dan Campbell would have been like the Andrew Yang of that whole group. By the way, Matt LaFleur, where was Matt LaFleur on January 6th? Well, he was interviewing for the Green yeah. Bay Packers a couple of years before it, but you know what I'm saying. So, so, so if if Dan Campbell would have been the Andrew Yang, just nobody Damn. knew about him, but maybe he had the best <laughs> game plan. And Matt Lafleur was the Joe Biden of that all. You're telling me he rubbed elbows with somebody who was successful, and so finally that got him to jumpstart his career. Come on, that's how he got hired. Jesus, well, that's what we're stuck with. But the other so thing, my Johnny, Joe Barry though, take has evolved. That my Joe Barry take now is that. Sleepy Matt Joe LaFleur Barry might have actually been the worst, a worse hire than Joe Barry. Not only that, but as Rowdy just said, 
there are guys who stick around the league long enough, so they must know something about football. Joe Mary's been coaching in the NFL for 20 years. So when he got hired, they're probably like, okay, we're taking a big risk with this young, yeah. unproven, yeah. wonder kid. Let's bring in someone who we know exactly what he is. He, he helped out as the assistant head coach for the number one overall defense before getting hired. I didn't know that, guys. I'm president of the Joe Mary Fan Club. And it was just yesterday that I found out the reason he was hired was not because he oversaw the 0-16 Lions 15 years ago. It's because he oversaw the number one defense in the league the year before he was hired. That's There's a lot of gaslighting going on of Packer fans for the floor, and I, I think Grant Bills is at the top of the list of people doing this because to this day he still says he likes Matt LaFleur's scheme and he thinks he's a good well, coach. Again- and I'm sitting here thinking, where the hell is that coming from? We love where Grant. We from? love Grant, but some listeners have pointed out that the reason why Grant loves Matt LaFleur so much is because they're both equally as soft as one another. Well, here's the thing, Johnny, and I think this actually could make some sense. You look at what he did. So from 15 to 16, he was the, the Atlanta quarterbacks coach, which was basically you know third, fourth in line, and we know everyone that worked there. He then moves to the Rams OC, but we all know he wasn't calling plays because he was Sean McVay's buddy. Sean McVay was calling plays. Then he had his year with Tennessee, which wasn't that good. They were better both the year before and after LaFleur. And then he's at Green Bay. But, you know, when he got there, 2019, 2020, even 2021, the scheme was pretty good. Like, he was drawing up plays where guys were getting open. Maybe there was a little bit more, you know, experienced talent so that they knew what they were doing and it all meshed. But I think that maybe we're starting to see it fall apart in 2022. It's like, okay, well, we were two, three years out with this innovation. Maybe all the innovation he had taken from McVeigh and Shanahan, they had already adapted and changed. And in two or three years, like Kurt Benkert said, it's outdated. And he was the third, fourth guy in line that was kind of tagging along. He doesn't have the ability to really adapt it to make it better like the other Mm-mm, couple do. Mm-mm. He is a total fraud. I, it's I LaFraud. Matt LaFraud. Uh-oh. Five different jobs in five years has not actually proven success on their own and has been riding the coattails of somebody else. Aaron Rodgers. To be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? We've all been fooled, boys. We've all we been have been LaFooled. We've been LaFooled by LaFraud. I'm firmly on the train. I'm out on LaFraud. Welcome. I understand Welcome to the party. For political reasons, we, we can't fire him. But he's not bringing his Super Bowl. He might not bring hey, his playoffs. Hey, he hey. might not bring us another first. You down. said much we'll like see. for political reasons we can't fire him. Matt Lafleur was hired or con- and interviewed on January sixth. You know what happened on another year, January sixth? We're storming Title Town, baby. We're taking him out. So, Johnny, my question to you then: ah! How Sorry. long do you give him before you'd give him the axe if they continue to play this way? Look, there's two things, right? If you want to uh, get to the playoffs and, and sell tickets again so that Detroit fans don't get over it, maybe you keep the guy and you give him time and him and love. If you actually want to win a Super Bowl, you're trading every player who has made a Pro Bowl on this team, and you are firing the floor, and we are committing to the two- to three-year rebuild. That's if you want to win a Super Bowl. If we're fine getting into the wild card and losing to the 49ers, uh, you know, every year, then this is the course that we're going to take. But this team with Matt LaFleur, Brian Nunez probably knows it. But, again, my take with GMs, 
They're not here to win Super Bowls. They're here to keep their jobs. Making the playoffs keeps their jobs. So, as long as LeFleur can put together a playoff team next year, he'll be he'll be here for five years, boys. We're screwed. There's no there's no Super Bowl anywhere in sight. Johnny, you the man. You're getting me inspired. Go when you're in Chicago. Flick them off for me, okay? All righty. Uh, Matt Arnold. He was on the podium yesterday, Brewers uh, president of baseball operations, talking about Craig Council. Not sure, still kind of in a holding pattern of Craigery, as haven't really heard from him, continue to wait on him. And then he was a little more definitive about Corbin Burns, who's going to entering the final year of his contract in 2024. He said uh, they want to have Corbin Burns back. Outside of that, there you know wasn't much to report from Matt Arnold besides... Oh, there's a couple things. What did you hear about the Matt Arnold thing that uh, you're like, I believe you, this I don't believe you, and other ones like, I'm not sure about this guy. Well, yeah, I think they want to have Corbin Burns back. We would all want to have him back. But is that realistic or not? I think there's a difference between what we would want as Brewer fans of the Brewer Fun Office and what will actually happen. And I'm pretty sure Burns is going to be gone. I'm pretty sure every Brewers fan, or most every Brewers fan, and the front office would want Corbin Burns to come back. Who wouldn't want a Cy Young caliber pitcher, a guy that's going to finish in the top 10 of the Cy Young race this year, even in a presumed down year? But does Corbin Burns want to be in Milwaukee? He's a California guy. He's a he's a guy that some people have said he's made it known that after, you know, kind of how the last couple of years have went. He would like to test free agency and like to see that money and not even have to deal with, you know, extension talks. He seemed pretty soured after that arbitration meeting too. And I mean, that's just more fuel to the fire. And clearly if you're the Milwaukee Brewers and you can't operate like the Dodgers or the Yankees and go out and spend all this money and, and, you know, afford players, you can't just let the guy go for nothing. No, you got to trade him. And you got to figure that at this point, you got to trade him for all that he's worth. You're not going to save him until the deadline next year in July, because even if your team was good, how are you going to explain that to the fans? And if your team was <laughs> team was crappy, well, screw it. You should have just traded him in the winter because the team was already yeah, going to be crappy. You can't get nothing for him. You have to cash in on this. And your your value clearly for one full year of control versus two months is is a lot. Yeah. So you got to trade him. It's either sign him or trade him. And, trade and him. I don't think signings in the in the cards. I don't, has it ever been signing a, a a lot of money to one guy, Rowdy? Yeah, Christian Yelich. He was he was the guy that was picked. Like uh, the guy before uh, him was Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder. See ya. Remember when they gave Jeff Supan a lot of money? Looking back, it makes him, <laughs> I mean that's a horrible deal. But the type of money that starting pitchers command these yeah. days are, is just crazy. But yes, at the time, horrible contract. And then but it wasn't even the same. It's not even on the same level as your Ryan Braun contract that was doled out for the Brewers, or now the Christian Yelich. Yeah. Well, on the Corbin Burns front, Matt Arnold said, Corbin means a ton to what we've done here. He's been a warrior on the mound. He's the guy we wanted on the mound in game one. He's been the guy that we want on the mound in big games. I'm thrilled that he's here. We'll go back to the arbitration meeting where they're like, they literally told Corbin Burns, you're the reason why we didn't make the playoffs. Well, yeah. <laughs> Think about if you're Corbin Burns. So... Your rise through the organization, you were the minor league pitcher of the year. You came up in 2018, pitched well out of the bullpen, you know, spot starter on that 2018 team that uh, made the 
obviously what looks to be the best run in this window for the Milwaukee Brewers or the golden age, as some people would say. And then you struggle in 2019, your first year, get sent all the way down to double A. You go to the pitching lab, figure some things out, add a cutter, and change some of your pitches slightly. You then have a phenomenal 2020 season. You win a Cy Young in 2021. You're in the top five in 2022. You're going to finish in the top 10 in 2023. You're still below the age of 30. Like, you're sitting there saying, I've been one of the best pitchers in baseball the last three, four years. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at a team that won multiple times over and over did not want you to pitch into certain innings or certain situations because most people would say analytics or they didn't feel comfortable with that or you were too young and, and needed more innings on your arm and blah, insert excuse. Yeah, a lot of them. You've been taken out in shutouts or no hitters, visibly frustrated on the mound. You've went to arbitration because obviously the Brewers are going to want to pinch every little penny that they can and oh, been told yeah. that you aren't, or sorry, you are the reason why they lost in the postseason. And then you're already a California guy that really doesn't like the cold. And we've heard him comment about that multiple times. Like when he had to start in Chicago or, uh, you know, Midwest fall spring baseball. If you don't like the cold and you're a California guy, <laughs> <laughs> and you have all those other reasons. I mean, what's keeping you here? I don't think anything is really keeping him here. The fact that besides you're a contract, under contract right besides a contract, the fact that you probably have some friends on the team, the fact that um, what did you rather have, Rowdy? Friends on the team or friends that are lame like Franklin and Grant and you don't on dollar bill uh, on, on on currency. You don't know any other front office or guys like this has been the front office. They drafted you. They. They um, developed you. Their pitching lab helped you. So I get maybe where there's that. But other, if I'm him, I'm saying deuces. But I'm, first, but I'm yeah, out of here. It's like with the way you've treated me, yeah. I get that that pitching lab might have helped me. But I was already damn good before. Yeah. I was your minor league pitcher of the year. I came up as a young kid in 2018 and helped you. I always had the ability. I just had to get it right. Thank you for straightening me out. I'm gonna be like, hey, Matt Arnold, remember that arbitration meeting? F you. I'm out. Exactly. Peace. Pay me in a you big gotta market. You got to trade him. Yep. Uh, let's go to the line four. Good morning. Who do we got? Man, Woodruff here. How's it going, guys? Woody, what's up, man? The true ace. What's up, Woody? Yeah, I was, I was talking to Corbin, and I, was, I told him, you just got to take a club discount. <laughs> I mean, I've been carrying his butt for the last three years. Well, I mean. Any big game. As well, Woody, Woody, let me ask you. When, when you said that to Corbin, did he mention the $700,000 raise he wanted that he didn't get after the arbitration meeting? I just told him I was worth more money. <laughs> hey, Woody, we're feeling for you, bro. I was just sitting on the bench just watching him in game one just thinking, man, I wonder how it's like to be so bad in big games. I know. Woody, if you would have been out of the mound game one, I bet you we were talking a different story about the you guys' playoff run. Yeah. So, I think he'll be back. How's your shoulder feeling, Woody? Well, it's all right. You going to be ready for next season? Yeah, if they want me back, I'll come back. Heck yeah. Give you a couple some good so, drugs, maybe a little cortisone shot or something. What do you think? Maybe, um, what's what that stuff Rogers uses? 
Uh, ayahuasca? Ayahuasca? Oh, yeah, just drink that. You'll be good. Yeah, there you go. Woody, anything else before I let you go? No, I'm, man, Arnold's a good guy, and I think we'll get a deal done here. Love With it. Woody, me, we'll bring the whole gang back. <laughs> hey, Woody, good luck with the shoulder recovery. We love you, brother. Take care. Tell that Grant Bell he's a bonehead. No doubt, Woody, you got it. See you, bud. Brandon Woodruff. Calling in on the hotline. Uh, Grant Bills, if you're listening, Woody says you're a bonehead. I would say another thing that I thought, man, Arnold said that was kind of interesting when you're looking at roster construction moving forward and maybe you can peer into what you think the, the Brewers might do or players that might be available. And I think the one that was interesting was Tyler Black. Now, this was a guy that started the season in double A absolutely raked in double a was moved up to triple a he's a first third baseman he's a top five prospect uh, currently in the farm system has speed can hit for power if he can like i said he can play first or third base what are you going to do at first or third base because matt arnold made comments saying how tyler black has a real shot at uh coming in here and, and playing next season and, and playing out of spring training. And he also max, uh, mentioned Jackson Cheerio, who's yeah. obviously their best prospect, kid that's still 19 years He's old, pretty good. that moved all the way up to AAA pretty good. and has been setting records or has been doing only things that certain players at his age and at that level are comparable to like other Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers like the Bryce Harpers of the world. Yeah. So... Clearly, the fact that they named a couple of those guys, it's interesting to see how it all shakes out because, I don't know, you look at their outfield right now. Yelich is going nowhere. Uh, clearly, Garrett Mitchell will be back healthy next season. Sal Freelich, again, playing in the bigs a year early, still hit 250, and they were batting him fourth. Dude's like a first or second hitter in an ideal world. Uh, Joey Weimer might be the odd man out. Yeah, clearly, yeah, well, you yeah, still have Jackson Cheerio. Yeah. Maybe uh, you still have Tyrone Taylor, who seems to be pretty serviceable at the very least as a fourth outfielder on your team. Like you have a lot of question marks and you have a lot of prospects that can play outfield where you don't have a lot of prospects is first and third base. And Tyler Black's one of them. And he was mentioned. What does that mean for Rowdy Telez? Brian Anderson was already DFA'd before the season yeah, ended. Rowdy. Hmm. What what are you gonna what do you but then that's the other thing. Imagine if they do come into next season with Tyler Black playing first or third base. Probably more likely to play third, just looking at roster construction currently, because Rowdy Telez is more senior lady. He's been there, done that. You hope for a rebound season if they do tender him. But you're gonna be relying on another young player that's never touched the bigs before. Like Clearly, they're not spending money to go out and get some big high prize free agency. I know there's been trade talks with maybe the Mets, with uh, Corbin Burns or someone like that, for Pete Alonzo. I know those those well, have been what, whispers. What did Stern say he expects Pete Alonzo to be on his team game one for the Mets. Yeah. Um, and Matt Arnold would love to have Corbin Burns. <laughs> exactly. All right, the, and then obviously there's the Craig Council situation as well. He's, you know, it, he's got to make up his mind. What are you going to do? I'm over it. Who cares? You going to move on? Figure, if he comes back, great. If he moves on, on to the next one. You got to find someone sometime anyways. <laughs>